Welcome to the Global Fluency Podcast. This is a space we've created to explore the components of diversity, inclusion, and cultural competency. Cultural competency. And all of the ways in which these components present themselves in our professional and personal lives. Be it language, culture, socioeconomic class, gender, race, ability level, age, or so many other identifiers. Everything begins with a conversation. conversation. Join us in this space where we seek to empower, educate, and uplift by creating authentic conversations on issues that affect us every day in every way. We look forward to you joining us in our discussions with everyone from thought leaders, diversity and inclusion strategists, students to CEOs in the corporate, education, and nonprofit sectors. Let's discuss how we can better understand differences and leverage commonalities. Let's do away with political correctness, explore ideation, build community, and create allies. Let's start an authentic conversation. This is the Global Fluency Podcast, and this is Bertine Crevacore West. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. My name is Bertine Prabhupada West, and I'm delighted to be back with you as your host. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Ms. Aisha DeBerry. Aisha, say hi to our guests and let them know where you're joining us from. Hi, I'm joining from Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Global Fluency Podcast. I'm so glad to have you on the show today. And so I'm going to tell our guests a little bit about you, our listeners, a little bit about you. So everyone, Aisha is... A JD. She's an attorney and she's the director of diversity and community partnerships for PCOM Georgia campus. Aisha formerly served in the Office of Student Affairs and Admissions for the inaugural DO and pharmacy classes at PCOM Georgia. Before returning to PCOM, Aisha worked in the area of Title IX and compliance at Spelman College. Shout out to all of our listeners at Spelman, one of the nation's oldest historically Black all women schools. Spelman College's focus is on empowering students to engage in many cultures and bring about social change. So during her time at Spelman, she worked with faculty, staff, and students on program development, training, and crisis control of issues pertaining to sexual assault and gender equity. Prior to Spelman, she served as a legal personnel at Breeding and Associates, LLC. It's a boutique firm focused in the areas of family, commercial, and criminal law. In addition, Aisha served as rule as a Rule 31 mediator for the state of Tennessee. Aisha has a true passion for diversity and its effects. She currently serves as an advisor to Pecan Georgia's Council on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion and the LGBTQIA Plus Council. She is the advisor to the student-led Cultural Competence Committee, whose mission is to be a think tank for programming and bring forth diversity and inclusion initiatives from a student perspective, as well as search for blind spots on campus. She currently has co-led training in the areas of microaggressions, implicit bias, foundational diversity and inclusion efforts, and safe spaces. So before PCOM, as a law student, she chartered the first Black Law Students Association, where she served as a local chapter president and sub-region director for the national chapter. She was also an executive member of the Women's Law Society, Outlaw, an LGBTQIA organization, and the Immigration Law Society. Through these organizations, Aisha had the opportunity to start a community outreach program that enabled law students to satisfy community service hours, assisted in creating a safe space on campus for LGBTQIA students, and helped refugee clients move from permanent residency to U.S. citizenship status. Aisha has also worked as a researcher with Cheryl Taylor Page, also an attorney and co-author of the book Human Trafficking, 
which explores the legal, moral, and political attempts to contain sex and labor trafficking. Aisha believes in community engagement and serves on executive boards for South Gwinnett High School, the Ferguson School, and the National Association for Minorities in Medical Education. She's an advisory board member for Burkmore, Meadow Creek, and Midtown International School. Shout out to all of our friends at Midtown. I'm talking to you, Tiffany. Okay. <laughs> she is a member of the Diversity Council for AACOM, the National Association of Diversity Officers in Higher Education, Georgia Diversity Council, and the Atlanta Urban League. She volunteers with the American Cancer Society, Atlanta Free Store, and Westside Community Planning Project. And in her spare time, which I am shocked that she has any of, but in her spare time, she enjoys teaching Zumba and spending time with her two dogs, Sasha and Milo. So Aisha, thank you once again for being on the Global Fluency Podcast. I'm so glad to have you here. And I've been looking forward to you being on the show. Same here. I can't wait to get into the conversation. As you know, we're dear friends and we talk about this offline so much. So it's so fun to be here today. Right. I, I really enjoy that, especially as you said, because we are such good friends, being able to share part of our internal dialogue, right? Mm -hmm. With mm -hmm. our listeners. And what I love is that, you know, in the green room, you and I were having a whole other conversation you know, prior to recording this this episode right here. So I feel like we get to have multiple episodes in one, but <laughs> this is the one we're going to share with folks out here. Right. So being that I've already shared with them your extensive background, I want to ask you, because you, you've got such an extensive background in everything diversity, equity, and inclusion related, and I dare say belonging as well, because I see that's a big part of your work, right? Yeah. So what propelled you to even go forth into this sphere, right? Um, what made this this particular, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion journey something that you felt that you need to be on? What was the catalyst for that? Wow, that's such a good question. Um, you know, as parents of civil rights activists, I think it's always been in my DNA and also the opportunity, which I'm very thankful for, to just have traveled around the world at an early age and really seen the importance of no matter where you are, no matter what language you speak, no matter what you eat, we all want to belong. We all want to feel appreciated. We all want to feel respected and we all want to feel safe in whatever aspect that is. And so I think for me, the catalyst would have been really in law school and to see how law affects certain people one way and differently in another way. And so I really, even after law school, wanted to delve more into why do we treat people differently? And when I say differently, of course, we're going to treat folks differently. But why do we treat people differently to their harm that is harmful? So I really, you know, felt, I don't know, passionate and, and almost charged to do this work. It's something that I think about all the time. And I want to be sure that when I leave this place, if you will, that I've, I've truly done the work of making people feel like what I just said, that they belong, that they're respected, that they are honored, and that they're safe. I love that. I love that. And I love that you mentioned your civil rights background, right, as the child of, of civil rights activists, because that to me is something so unique and rare, because that to me, what I'm looking at when I look at America, that is a very sacred task that people take on because it's not one that people take on for fame. It's not one they take on for fortune. It's one that they take on to make sure that that we have what, what I like to refer to as equitable justice, right? Mm -hmm. So you being 
you know, involved in this work and then becoming, you know, an attorney yourself, this to me is what is so profound. It's like you were meant to do these things. Right. Yes. So that you have yes. the mantle because, you know, even though we may feel we're meant to do it, not all of us are, are brave enough to say, I'm going to do this. Right. Yeah. So you yeah. Mantle and you're like, I'm going to make this work. And not only did you do it, but you kept on doing it some more in yes. different areas. So what I love about your background in particular is that you, you spread it across um, many different groups of underrepresented people. So the LGBTQIA community, the refugee community, which is tied, um, to the LEP community, so limited yes. English proficiency people, right? So this is one of the things that I love about your background is that it's diverse in its in its quest to seek and and deliver equitable justice. It's diverse in the people that it's trying to 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 help, right? Yes. Power. I rather say empower because to help means that people are somehow limited sometimes, but right. to empower people to really receive equitable justice in this world. So I commend you on that. Thank you. Thank you. And I, you know, I think about what you're saying and I'm even wondering, like, when did this truly, you know, start for me? And, you know, I'll start very simply. You know, I, if you can see me or can, I'm not sure. I am of small stature. I am a woman and I am African-American. And so in many spaces in the United States, people make assumptions of me before I walk into the room. And so I think I'll start with my statue first with being 5'3 and roughly, you know, I'm not going to give away my weight, but less than 120 pounds. <laughs> you know, I felt that I had to speak louder or speak up to get the attention of someone where someone maybe taller does not have the same challenge. And I think even innately from that, I understood that a lot of times I had to do more than my counterparts, even just from size. So, and that was as a little, you know, a, a small child in, in middle school and high school. And so I was, I think in a way I was able to relate quickly to, even if you weren't small in stature, maybe you were on the margins, if you will. And I like to use that terminology. I don't like to say marginalized, but not in the forefront. And so I just looked, like I said, of, of, of how I grew up. I was from Mississippi, so I was very close to reservations. So I had a chance to really have some great relationships with Native people. I myself am from Mississippi, Jackson in particular, which is a, a Black city. So mm -hmm. I had kind of had that experience and the whole HBCU experience kind of around me. And then I went on to Boston and really, when I was in college, really got to know Black folks, but Black folks from the diaspora, but also the women's movement for me was very pertinent at that time. So I just felt like these building blocks kept happening. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I went to Northeastern to major in economics so I can make a ton of money. It was all about money, okay? And <laughs> September 11th happened. And I'm like, dang it, I am back to doing the civil rights stuff that I, you know, that innately is in me, but I fought against it. And so now I've just released myself to it. Oh, but you know what? I dare say this. I know you would have been a, a powerhouse in the economic realm, but we so need you here, right? And you've yeah. done like the body of your work. And I should also mention, because people will be able to see you, but I should also mention for those that are listening to the, the audio of the podcast, that you are a young person. You know, I'm not giving away ages. But <laughs> Everybody, she's looking at me like, what? But right. <laughs> I'm not ages. But but you know what? We will say younger than 50. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> younger than 50, older than 21. Okay. How about that? Right. 
So, um, but, but you are a young person, right? And that's another episode of, of this show about what is youth? Because I want to have that conversation later yes. on, right? But you are a, a relatively young person in the prime of your life, I would say, right? Or right. starting the prime. And so to see all that you've accomplished already, right? I am just, I'm excited about what you're going to accomplish later on in life, even more so, yeah. right? Because I know that, I know what's in store for you is going to be so great because you've already done so many things that have been impactful to people's lives, right? Yeah. So having said that, then I want to talk about, you know, with regard to cultural competence, diversity and inclusion, like what clear goals has this helped you establish in your work? So, you know, I realize that innately I am an optimist, but I also realize we live in a real world and it's important that this work of DEI continues. I, I think it's important that people realize this is not just kind of a, a one and done and we're we're good. Everyone is happy. And so for me, I really want to begin to set goals to say DEI is here to stay and, and we're flexible and we're flexible to change, but it it's a serious thing. And I think even more now, um, in the climate that we're in. And I, and I, I use that terminology loosely, but I use it because it's helpful for people to understand that this work is so critical and that we realize that this work is very fragile. It, it, at any moment, it could shift in one way or the other. And so it's critical that people even like you and myself are still staying in the front and in the spotlight whether people want us to or not. Mm-hmm. I think it's just imperative to keep the balance in society. So I don't know if that directly answered your question, but I think my goal is really to make sure that I continue to just become laser focused in DEI and continue to roll out similar things with a little bit of change, but still keep rolling that out and not feel like ever that this is something that won't be important to society. Right. Absolutely. And, and I, I love that you said that because especially the part about balance, right. And how this sphere in which we are in is very delicate. Um, And I dare say that about the United States in general. Like our listeners, of course, are are from all over the world, but with the United States in general, and specifically with regard to democracy, right? I consider democracy a beautiful, fragile thing. It is not something to be taken lightly. Our rights are not transferable once we leave this country. Um, That is something that I try to impart upon people all the time, but that we are here together in this I don't like to use the word melting pot because to me, what that that insinuates is that we all lose ourselves and become this gelatinous thing, right? right? I prefer to you. And for people listening, melting pot, the term was actually um, coined by a namesake of mine, um, an ancestor, I I guess. I'm not sure, but we had the same last name. It was coined by a prepker. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Little known fact here on Global Fluency Podcast, right? And so when I found that out, I was like, wow, what would they have said if they had seen, A, what a Krepker would look like now, because they didn't look like me, and B, to know that 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 characterization is just completely not culturally competent, right? Mm -hmm. So I like to use the term mixed salad, because we all retain our individuality, but we make this one greater thing just so good, right? Yes. So somebody is tomato, someone's cucumber, someone's lettuce, someone's bacon bits, because you know, bacon bits. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, shout out to all my people out there who love bacon bits and those right. do not eat pork. Okay. Which <laughs> I do not. 
right? There's a story ran out there for you. Okay. So this is what's terrible when you have your friends on the show, right? Right. <laughs> have all the good conversation. But, you know, I love that because it, it means that we get to maintain who we are and rather than um, deal with assimilation, which is not culturally competent, we're dealing with acclimation, which is something very different, right? Right. And so right. we're all getting to appreciate our differences. And that's why here, you know, we have two hashtags that are dear hashtags that we use for everything. So, you know, leveraging commonalities, understanding differences, right? I think mm-hmm. it's great to see what we have in common. But it's also just wonderful to appreciate what we have that's different. Right? Absolutely. I mean, that kind of speaks to you just using the example of the mixed salad. I mean, who wants to eat all cucumbers every day? Who wants to eat all lettuce every day? You know? No one else wants <laughs> all lettuce. Okay. <laughs> that we can absolutely agree on. Exactly. See? So that's the same for people. I mean, do you want to be around someone who looks like you literally every day, all day for the rest of your life? That does not say that if that happens to you in your life, that it's the worst thing ever. So let me be clear, but how great would it be to see someone who looked differently from you or had a different culture or a different language that you could learn from? Again, it doesn't mean you have to spend countless months or years, you know, with people that don't look like you, but just think about the wealth of knowledge and experience. It's like a classroom for free. Oh, I love that so much. I yeah, love that. Like you get a, a new experience every time you meet someone that's different and different doesn't necessarily mean that you, you know, that you don't look the same or you look the same. I mean, even within African-Americans, there's a diaspora, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just knowing your background and mine, it's totally different. And yeah. I still learned so much from your culture and vice versa. So again, think about just what you eat. That's a baseline. Um, from on the show. So yeah. <laughs> we're foodies. So definitely, right. no, I get it. And, and I love that you mentioned you know, the the transition that you went through when you went from Mississippi to, you know, Massachusetts, you know, just the diaspora of people in general. But then when you're looking at just the, the spectrum of the Black experience and what that is, because it's not the same for everybody. It's not a monolithic experience, right? So I love that, you know, although you and I look alike insofar as we're both Black women, right? Mm-hmm. We have such varied and different backgrounds you know, linguistically, culturally, you know, ethnically, but there's so much from us to get from one another. There's such a richness to our shared experience, right? Yes. And that's because we're open to learning about differences and things like that. So I always think that that's, that's the best way to get to know other people, honestly, through conversation and food. And even, you know, with all the turmoil that, that our country has been experiencing or has experienced in particular during 2020, I, as much as I love to talk about politics, to talk about, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion issues, to talk about all this stuff. I refrain from doing it on my personal social media because I'd rather engage in this type of conversation. Yes. And I think that, you know, there's only so much that you can type and and <laughs> rather than try to um, get anyone to see my particular side, for example, I'd rather engage in why do you feel the way you do? Explain that to me. And, and this is how I feel. Let's talk about that. And then, then yeah. let's see where the conversation takes us, you know? And let's Absolutely. always agree to disagree respectfully, right? Yes, and absolutely. Like that is the work of, of DEI professionals such as yourself, such as myself. Like we're trying to get people to have a conversation. Now we would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor. 
Westbridge Solutions is a professional training company focusing on diversity, inclusion, cultural competence, and soft skills trainings. Westbridge Solutions offers a variety of innovative training courses, both in-person and online, live and self-paced. Their clients include corporations, government organizations, healthcare organizations, the nonprofit sector, universities, and individuals such as yourself. Through their rigorous training programs, trainees learn to understand differences, leverage commonalities, and achieve organizational, professional, and personal actualization. To learn more about Westbridge Solutions, please feel free to visit their website at www.westgrouptraining.com or follow them on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Westbridge Solutions, empowering professionals for success. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the closer you get to someone, and I don't know the quote exactly, I saw Michelle Obama wearing it. It's harder to hate someone close to you. So, you know, the closer, like you're saying, you get into that conversation with someone, you find the commonality. Some kind of way you're going to get to a commonality. I don't care what it is. I mean, I just firmly believe that. Now, to your point, are we going to always agree? Absolutely not. But I don't think we're going to be as harsh in our disagreement if you know that person, if you've taken the time to get to know that person. I mean, we're, we're, we're all different. So, I mean, my gosh, why would we all agree on everything going back to our salad? Um, so, but again, it's about the respect. And so coming closer to that person allows that to happen, in my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I really do agree with you on that. It's, it's one thing to look someone in the face, right? And say everything that, you know, you might say, you know, somebody who's perhaps, what do we call those, a keyboard coward, right? Right. Mm -hmm. But you can't come and say the same thing to my face, right? Right. Let's sit down and have a coffee. Let's sit down and and have this out so we can see what what really the the problem or the ailment is. Or, Or honestly, sometimes I think things are just a knowledge gap right? Yes. Somebody doesn't know something about someone else, so they other them. And yes. so that to me is where we have the greatest need for DEI warriors, right? Yes. Because I remember, and I, I know I share this with you just um, in our conversations that I remember some, one time someone said to me, and this has happened more than once, but they've said something along the lines of, it must be, you know, so great to do the work that you do. What fun, right? <laughs> I was just like, this is not Disney World. This is, you know, this is a whole other bag of things. And, yes. and because too, I think people have undervalued DEI, right? Yes. I think that, you know, either because um, you're a person from a minority group or because you're a person from an under, underrepresented group, and this is a double-edged sword. So because, you know, we may look a certain way or be from a certain place that that qualifies us to be right. professionals, right? Absolutely. Which it does not. And at the same time, this leaves out our white counterparts who have done the hard work, who have, yes. you know, immersed themselves in this struggle with us. And, and I like to always reference um, um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. When he was, you know, marching, he wasn't just marching with Black people. He was marching with everyone. There were white yes. people there. There are people who were Jewish. There are people who are Latino, Hispanic. And they were a part of that struggle. And, and I always found that to be really poignant because the people, like, even if it's something that affects me, me alone talking about me isn't going to help me, right? right? 
it's right. it creating empathy and that creates compassion and that that lends us to that ear that you were saying where we can have this conversation. Yes. And that leads us to some more understanding. So I always say when we're talking about diversity, it's not easy work. It's not right. fun work. It's it's oftentimes dangerous work because sometimes the places we have to go to to speak to people, they're we're hired by their bosses to speak to them, right? Yes. That's not always a friendly audience. Uh, I can attest to that for sure. Like driving through places where there are Klan flags. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as my, my listeners know, I am a Black woman <laughs> and, and that does not make me feel safe. But I also know that I'm tasked to do something that, that I feel is my life's calling. But there are some days where we don't want to do it, you know? Right. Yes. Some and, very hard days. Right? So that's the time for us to do it when it's hard. Right? Yes. We can always do it when it's easy. Of course. Right. But it's hard. That's when you're just like, oh, good grief. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna put my personal fears aside. I'm going to do what I have to do. Because like you said, when you were talking about, you know, being small in stature and knowing that you had to add something to that in order for people to hear you and see you and, and really hear your message, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, because everyone, you can see her. She's not that tiny that you can't see her. Okay. <laughs> right. But, but you can't, but your message, right? Um, yeah. And so for me, I, I totally empathize with that. I'm not small in stature. I'm the opposite, but my voice, <laughs> my voice is small. So, so I have to project when I'm speaking to people, so they will, and I have to speak lower um, than my actual voice because then they will, this'll, this'll keep them in tune with what I'm trying to say in the message, right? Yes. I want to dive into something else. Now tell me what brought you to PCOM, for example, like what brought you to want to work with medical students in particular? Like that's something that I think I want our audience to hear about because, you know, you were going to be an economist. We know what diverted you from that route. You're an attorney now, right? (laughs) Yes. So medical students, why them? So long story, but a short one. After the 9-11, of course, you know that finance and economics was not profitable um, anymore at that particular time. And so when I was in college, I was like, oh gosh, now what am I going to do? Because I was literally getting ready to graduate. I had already been an orientation leader and a resident assistant for those who know about college life. Um, So so my old boss over the uh, orientation program said, well, we have this job opening to be a recruiter for Northeastern where you're you're going. So I'm sure you can do that. You just do it for a couple of months and the economy will come back. And I was like, sure. Well, the economy didn't come back and, you know, for a while. And I was finding myself really enjoying helping students figure out how to navigate the whole process. I also learned from a point of privilege that everyone does not know how to apply to college. So, or how to get financial aid or how to afford it, especially a lot of first-generation students. So that really sparked something in me. Like, wow, I can really help someone make this happen. Going back to people who may not have the resources or the knowledge base, helping them get there. Mm -hmm. So then I ended up moving to Atlanta and I left that job and I saw the opportunity at PECOM for a recruiter. So that is how I got to PECOM. I started doing admissions at PECOM, didn't know anything about osteopathic what. So I quickly learned what osteopathic medicine was. And for those who do not know, it's really an alternative, even though it is still medicine, just like your MD 
I like to say it's an MD plus some because mm-hmm. the students that are trained in osteopathic medicine, they get about 180 hours of extra courses wow. that deal with training the body and feeling the body by using your hands. So for example, if you have a sinus infection and normally you go to your MD, nothing against MDs mm-hmm. or any physician for the matter, they may say, well, take a Zyrtex or let me give you a prescription mm-hmm. or whatever osteopathic physician, if they're practicing in that field in particular, they may feel around your nasal area to see maybe there's a bone that's out of place, or maybe you're not getting a clear airway. So maybe let's just work on some techniques to help that airway open. So that way you may not have to get prescription. Now, those are lower level issues, right? So when we're talking about surgery and things of that sort, DOs go into those programs as well, and they don't necessarily do all of the OMT, as I just described. So that's the difference between MD and DO. I digress. I'll come back (laughs) to your point. Did you think you'd ever know that when you were studying economics? I mean, I love the just vastness of your knowledge. Like, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I just thought, I'm like, I always say that, and I don't, just with us in DEI, you know how you want to explain. You never want to leave a word on the table that people may not understand our terms. So I found myself when I was doing that before I went to law school, really making sure again that I was recruiting students or looking for students that had not had the experience of knowing how to apply to medical school. I would sit on these admissions meetings and a lot of the folks that were sitting at the table would say, you know, I don't, I don't know how to find a first generation. I don't know how to find more women. I don't know how to find more students of color. And I'm like, I'm glad you put me to the task. And so I spent a lot of time being intentional about going to certain universities, certain churches, certain organizations to just talk about osteopathic medicine, but also to talk about applying to just professional school. And so that's really where this energy came from. Like, I can really do this. I can make this work. I can serve as a conduit. Um, And so I went on to law school, but as Again, as the gods have it, I returned back to PCON because there was this opportunity for this DEI position. Mm -hmm. And so now I really work on working with admissions still in terms of recruitment, working with student affairs in terms of retention, working with our faculty and staff in terms of training and competent curriculum, working with our community members. So when the students go out and do things and they've been trained internally, Our external partners get the training as well. So it comes together. So I, of course, it's like you said, it's not easy work, but I enjoy, I really enjoy what I do. And it shows, like it it shows in just your passion for it. Every time you speak about it, you know, I see your face light up about it, you know, and I think initially too, that's what drew us to one another. Like, ah, right. It was (laughs) just so wonderful. And I really just, I appreciate your commitment you know, to the cause and to, to the entire profession, because as we said, it's not an easy one to have, right? When we're going into, well, you're trying to do, not even trying, you're accomplishing multiple things from my perspective. You are going into spaces where ordinarily you might not be, right? Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. might not be welcomed, you know, you are creating those seats, you're building those tables, right? Where now people can come sit here. But then you're also creating pathways for people, pathways of recruitment, yeah. which eventually, you know, with what you're doing internally at PCOM in your role is also um, adding to retention levels. Right? Yes. 
And so I think that that when when I look at how you approach DEI and and really um, student thriving, right? Because we yes. don't just want them to do well and, and become doctors. We want them to right. be culturally competent healthcare professionals, right? Yes. So when you're doing that, you guys are, are doing it through this holistic and comprehensive way um, that I really appreciate. And I know yes. that not only, you know, your work not only serves the students that you're serving and of course the faculty and staff, but but really the community on many different levels. And the beauty yes. that I think is that you're doing that um, through your work and, and the engagement that you create, you're helping people whose cultures you're not from, right? Who has different ethnicities you do not share and who you probably never meet and will never meet you. But yes. this, it's a it's a rippling tidal wave effect, if you will, right? Yes, yes. So I, that's why I wanted to have you on the show so much to just talk about what you do. And hopefully, um, you know, when people are listening, you will inspire them um, to go into this sort of work. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, for us, many times we may feel that this is not necessarily thankless work, but we have to sometimes appreciate the small wins. Every win is not going to be great. But just kind of circling back to your question, the reason why I was okay and happy to come back to PCOM is I don't think people realize how important solid, good healthcare is. And it's not just about your physician making straight A's and having a great residency experience. It's really about making sure that your physician at least tries to learn more about you as a whole person. And osteopathic medicine talks about holistic care. And so if you don't begin to bring in students that have an awareness or can culturally understand, if not fully be competent, that really could damage the treatment of healthcare. And so I'll just be frank, as a woman, mm-hmm. I'll use that as an example, that this is just my, my preference. I want a female doctor. Right. And I feel like that a female doctor is probably going to understand some things a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And we'll probably be able to have a little chat on the side as female to female. Mm-hmm. And that can be a response to any way that you identify. And so to me, I might listen to my doctor more. I might actually take my medication because I can relate to her. She's like an aunt or sister friend. And so I'm like, I don't want to let sister friend down. So (laughs) in essence, in that, I'm keeping myself well, right? So that to me is health equity. And so that's why it's so important that, again, a DEI person sits in that seat when we talk about healthcare, because that affects all. A doctor is going to see you at some point in your life. Mm-hmm. If not in between, definitely at a birth or God forbid, when we when we pass on. Yeah. But they deal with everyone. And so that's why I, I, I feel so passionate about it. And you know, when I'm listening to you, it, it reminded me of a quote um, that Paulo Fierro said, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, that a physician should know not a patient's condition, but the condition of that patient right? Something along those lines. It reminded me so much of that. Um, and, and that's what I think, I think that refers to being a culturally competent healthcare professional. Like they didn't use those words back then, but that's right. what it equates to now, right? So right. Aisha, in closing then, before we go, what are two things you'd like to share with our listeners after this? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> to do a courageous act can be a very small step. 
It doesn't have to be you with the bullhorn and walking down the street. It can literally be you reading a book about someone else's culture or someone else's journey that's different from yours. That's a small act of being courageous. Um, The other thing I would say is to listen before speaking. And that's in all forms. Whatever you do, just take three seconds and listen before you speak or act. Mm, You heard that, everyone? Take the whole three seconds, please. (laughs) Please. Take the whole three seconds. Because honestly, that's a longer amount of time than people really think. Absolutely. Time for us to to let something sink in. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And, you know, my friend, it's like truly my sister friend. Thank you so much for being the amazing woman that you are, the example that you are the leader and the mentor that you are to so many. And really, you are a trailblazer. And so I want people to who are seeing this and who are hearing this um, to know that, A, they can do this too, right? Yes. This is a career path that is for everyone that has the, the courage, the willingness, right? Yes. The desire and the heart to do this because this is hard work and you have been investing with your heart in all of these amazing places. And so I couldn't be more proud to to have you as a friend, but to also have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much. Right. Thank you. Thanks for being a part of the Global Fluency Podcast. And thank you to all of our listeners for being a part of the show as always. And remember, this is your show. So we want to know what you think about today's episode. We want to know, you know, what questions you may have. And so before we even go, Aisha, share with everyone where they can find you on social media if they want to contact you themselves. Absolutely. You can find me on Instagram at Aisha I. DeBerry, that's D-E-B-E-R-R-Y, or on my website that's launching on Martin Luther King Day at AishaDeBerry.com. Excellent. Excellent. And we'll be sure to share all of it with you guys in the show notes. So once again, remember, it doesn't stop with this conversation with the end of this podcast episode. Talk about this episode. Have, you know, your virtual water cooler conversations. Think about what we've talked about today, about creating pathways, about, you know, applying to college and knowing how to actually do that, applying to medical school. Um, Think about alternatives to what you already know and the possibilities that are out there for you. So on behalf of Aisha and the Global Fluency Podcast, I just thank you guys for joining us today. And remember, let's keep the conversation going. Aisha, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll be with you on our next episode. So stay tuned. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. Tune in every second and fourth Tuesday of the month at 10 a.m. for our latest episode. Connect with us on our social media. You can find us on Facebook at Global Fluency Podcast and on Instagram at Westbridge Solutions, LLC. Global Fluency Podcast. Understanding differences, leveraging commonalities. Let's keep the conversation going, going, going.